The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Happy Mother's Day, everybody in the room here. Welcome to those of you online, everybody here with us, and visitors. We're just really, really glad that you've chosen to be with us. We'd love to be able to chat with you afterwards, to get to know you. We'd love to connect with you. We've got visitor cards in the lobby that you can fill out. We've got a digital version online you can find by scanning the QR code in your Sunday sheet, also found in the lobby. Uh, But we'd love to connect with you. And I wanted to remind you that if you want to catch up on any of sermons past in this series or series before dating back years, you can do that. Uh, We have a sermon podcast where you can go back and catch up on ones that you missed or revisit. And so you can find those at thesprings.cc slash messages. And you can watch old services. You can find the link to our podcast there. But um, we're continuing in following Jesus, the gospel of Mark this morning. And we're starting to wind things down. We've got four sermons left. But this morning finds us in chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was about to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, we give thanks for you this morning and we lift up your holy name. You are the Messiah, the Holy One of God. We give thanks for your presence this morning 
And Jesus, we praise you for the good news of salvation. Good news that means something for us, that means something for our neighbor, that means something for the world. Help us to receive that good news this morning. I ask for the gift of preaching, and we ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. There's a Russian movie from 1979 called Stalker. It's not about stalking. It's about three men on a journey. A man named Ryder, a man called Professor, and a man, their guide, called Stalker. So Ryder, Professor, and Stalker are walking through this place called The Zone, And they're walking through the zone, trying to get to a place in the zone called the room. Now, the zone is this kind of dystopian, post-apocalyptic kind of place where a catastrophe had happened, but now nature is growing back up around it and it's shrouded in mystery. But the reason they're walking through the zone to get to the room is because in the room, you get exactly what you want. In the room, whatever your heart's deepest desire, truest longing, whatever you wish, in the room, you get exactly what you want. So Stalker leads writer and professor through the zone, and they finally get up to the edge of the the room. They get to the precipice, the threshold, and they're standing there, and Stalker says, all right, who wants to go in first? And nobody moves. They just stand there. And what happens is that it seems that writer and professor who wanted to get into the room because in the room you get exactly what you want, now they're starting to wonder, what do I want? Do I really want what I think I want? Do I really know what the outcome will be if I get exactly what it is I think that I want? Do I really know what I want? Jesus asks a question in our text this morning. And it's the very same question he's gonna ask in the very next story in Mark, the story we're gonna have next Sunday. So Mark chapter 10, two stories back to back. Jesus asks the same question to different people in both of these stories. The question that Jesus asks is what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? James and John think they know what they want. But do they really know what they want? And do they really know what what they want will do? What do you want is the question at the heart of our text this morning. But our story doesn't start with that question. It starts with another passion prediction. If you've been here for the last couple weeks, Ben has preached a couple stories in a row where Jesus has this cycle that happens, that three things happen in a row. Jesus predicts his passion, and then the disciples have a negative reaction, and then Jesus teaches on discipleship. So that's happened twice in a row already. Passion prediction, 
The disciples misunderstand. Jesus teaches them what it means to follow them. And so we had a passion prediction this morning already. Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man's going to be handed over. They're going to condemn him. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles, mock him, spit upon him, flog him, kill him. And after three days, he'll rise again. So this is the third time Jesus has laid out that passion, that suffering and death prediction for his apostles. And if you remember last week after Jesus laid it out, how did the apostles respond? They started arguing about who's the greatest. So this morning, Jesus lays it out again. And how do they respond? James and John, sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. James and John try the oldest trick in the book. Kids, you've tried this one, right? Dad, promise me you'll say yes to whatever I ask. What are you going to ask? Just promise. Just say yes. Just promise me you'll do exactly what I'm about to ask you to do. Well, that's entirely dependent upon what you're asking for. Maybe this worked on Zebedee because James and John are trying it on Jesus now. And they say, hey, Jesus, give us whatever it is we want to ask you for. What is it? They say, we want to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in glory. So it's almost like James and John have taken that whole argument about who's the greatest and they're just kind of bypassing it. Like, well, we'll just go straight to the source. And it's like, it doesn't matter who's the greatest, but Jesus, can it just be me and my brother? Like, we don't care who's the greatest, but just give us the top two slots. If it's my brother, that's fine. It should be me. But if it's my brother, that's fine. We just want the right hand, the left hand. That's what we're asking for. Why are the apostles so obsessed with status right now? All right, we talked about honor and shame a few weeks ago. And honor and status are really important in this Mediterranean society in the first century. Right? And actually, it seems like the apostles following Jesus probably would have been a little status bump for them. Right? Because think about it, they've basically become the gatekeepers to a really dynamic, powerful figure. Jesus is drawing crowds, he's performing miracles, he's doing amazing stuff, and these are the gatekeepers, right? The apostles, they're his guys. So it was probably a little bit of a status bump. And the other thing is, the apostles at this point, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, Peter confessed it a couple chapters ago in Mark chapter 8. He said, yeah, we believe you're the Messiah, the Holy One. They believe Jesus is going to be king. So they've got their eye on some of that action, right? They want a little bit of that king power that Jesus is going to have. You know, it's almost like modern political campaigns. You hear about this stuff, right? Where the campaigns are coming down to the end and they haven't even won their election yet, but the campaign staff is already kind of jockeying for a place in the administration. They want job security. They want a little piece of the power, a little piece of the pie. That's 
kind of what we get with the apostles here, right? They know Jesus is going to be king, and they want a little piece of the action. But here's the problem. The apostles only understand half the story. They only get half the story, right? They, they get the part about Messiah. They get it. Jesus is king. They still don't get how he's going to be king. They still don't understand the way in which Jesus is going to be crowned king. They still don't understand that the way Jesus is going to be crowned king is going to turn the world's ideas of power upside down and inside out. It's almost like they're taking Jesus' passion predictions as metaphor. Right? He's said this twice already, now thrice. He's already said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be arrested, condemned, die. And it's almost like they're taking him as a metaphor. Like, yeah, Jesus, we know it's going to be tough. It, it's a tough road, it's a journey, it's really going to be hard, but then we'll come out on top. But they don't seem to realize that the way Jesus is going to be king is in a way that turns the world's ideas of power upside down and inside out. So how does Jesus respond? They say, give us what we want. He says, what do you want? They say, we want your right hand, your left hand, top two slots, chief of staff, chief strategist. That's what we want, Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. James and John have this confident but somewhat naive response. Jesus says, are you able? And they're like, yeah, we're able. We can do it. Absolutely. Bring it on, Jesus. But Mark makes clear to us later in the gospel that James and John, like the other apostles, are not able. In Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, in verse 50, Mark is going to say, all of them deserted him and fled. All of them. James and John included. But Jesus says they will drink this cup. They will be baptized with this baptism. And he's perhaps referring to their potential martyrdom one day. He says, you will drink that cup. And it's easy for us, as Ben pointed out, it's easy for us 2,000 years removed to kind of sit in judgment of James and John. But I want to I want to look at this question or what Jesus says to them, the way that he answers them in verse 38. I want to look a little closer because Jesus says, "You do not know what you are asking." And it's easy to sit in judgment and say, "Come on, James and John, you guys don't understand the half of it." Right? 
Jesus, tell them how it is. They don't get it. As we sit here 2,000 years later with 2,000 years of reflection on following Jesus. But what if we turn the scrutiny back on ourselves? We started with this question, what do you want? What, what is it we're asking for? And, and the question is, do we really know what we're asking for? Do we really know what it is we want? And do we really want what we would get if we got what we're asking for? Let me make it a little more concrete. Church, do we really even know what we've already asked for this morning? Abby Stevenson planned our worship service a couple weeks ago, and we sang the song New Wine. And this morning, together in the chorus, it's not phrased like a question. There's not a question mark in it. But we're really asking God to do something for us. Right? The chorus really says, make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all you've given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. So let me ask us, church, when we sang those words, did we really know what we were asking for? Do you really want what we were asking for? Do you really want to be made a vessel? Do you really want to be made an offering? Do you really want, do you really want to be made into whatever God wants to make us. Our story ends in verse 41 when the other apostles catch wind of this little power grab. It says, when the 10 heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus talks about tyrannical rulers, Gentile rulers who lord it over their subjects. Human history has always had those kind of rulers. We've always had them. And even before Jesus' day, even about 300 years before Jesus, the world was kind of run by a guy named Alexander the Great, a Greek guy you've probably heard of. And he was actually tutored by a Greek philosopher that you've also probably heard of named Aristotle. And Aristotle is a really smart guy. He's got a lot of great things that Christians can learn from. But also, if you read him, you'll also start to see where Aristotle's world and Jesus' world start to butt up against one another. Right? Because when Aristotle talks about great people, or he calls them great-souled people, he says this. He says, It is primarily with honors and dishonors then that the great-souled person is concerned. He will be pleased 
at great honors conferred by good people thinking that he's getting what he deserves or even less than he deserves because there could be no honor worthy of total virtue. Nevertheless, he will accept such honors on the ground that they have nothing greater to confer on him. But honor conferred by ordinary people or for unimportant reasons, he will utterly despise since it is beneath him. But Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus says, it's not so among you. He says, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all for the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. One of the most famous sermons ever preached on this text was preached by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And let me just say, if you're going to preach a text and you find out that Dr. King once preached that text, don't listen to Dr. King preach that text because you won't feel capable of preaching that text. Because he's a masterful orator and it's a really great sermon. And it's a sermon called The Drum Major Instinct. And so what he says is that James and John have the drum major instinct. You know the drum major leading the marching band, leading the crowd, kind of getting all the recognition there first. He says that's what James and John have. They want to be great. They want to be recognized. They want to be leading the parade. And he says instead of condemning them right away, we ought to recognize first that we all have that. We all want to be recognized. Some of us wouldn't mind leading the parade, but we all want to be great and recognized for it. And he says Jesus doesn't so much condemn this desire for greatness so much as he gives them a new norm for greatness. Jesus doesn't so much say, it's not good, you shouldn't want to be recognized or be great. But he gives them a new definition of greatness. He says, if you want to be great, wonderful. But here's what greatness means in my kingdom. He says, if you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, that's great. But here's how you're great according to the Messiah. You got to serve. You got to be slave of all. Dr. King preached that sermon on February 4th, 1968. And he gave speeches after that, but it was the last publicly preached sermon he ever gave because he was assassinated two months later. And it's really strange because he actually kind of ends the sermon talking about his death. He says, you know, I've thought about my death a little bit. I've thought about my funeral. I've thought about what I might want said. And he says, I, I don't want it to be a long funeral. I don't want the eulogist to take a long time. I don't want them to talk about any awards I might have gotten. I don't want them to talk about where I went to school. He says, what I want them to say is that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to serve somebody. That Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. 
He says, if you want to call me a drum major, call me a drum major for justice. Call me a drum major for peace. Call me a drum major for righteousness. He says, I'm not going to leave behind a lot of fine and luxurious things. I'm not going to leave behind a lot of wealth. But he says, I hope I leave behind a committed life serving Jesus. He says, I hope I spread the message of my master because then my living will not be in vain. Dr. King did taste the cup that James and John tasted. He was baptized with the baptism of martyrdom. He gave his life for Jesus, the one who gave his life for many, a ransom. And so the question is turned upon us again this morning, church. What do we want? What do we want said about us? What kind of greatness are we aiming for? Are we aiming for greatness according to the ideas of the world's power? Or are we aiming for greatness according to the kingdom of God? What are we asking for? Do we really want what it is we're asking for? Do we really want to be made a vessel? Do we really want to be an offering, to be made into whatever it is that God wants us to be? Do we really want that? Because what we most want, what we most seek and desire and love will show up and bubble up into our lives. So what is it that we want? If we're standing on the threshold of the room, if we can get exactly what we want, do we want the kingdom above all else? Do we want greatness according to servitude? Do we want to give our lives the way that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many? Another word for ransom is liberate. To be ransomed is to be freed from sin and death. To be liberated the way that Jesus has liberated us. And now we give our lives as a ransom. Now we give our lives to liberate people with the power of Jesus' gospel. We give our lives to liberate the oppressed, to free the poor, to free those captives to sin and death because that's greatness in the kingdom. Do we really want it? Do we really want vessel because it begins with what we most want and it begins with what we worship so let us stand this morning and worship Jesus the son of man who gave his life as a ransom for many